Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning, Movement Church. Man, you are the brave and the few and the proud who actually use the smartphone and let it adjust its clock on its own. Can I get an amen from some smart people in the room? I guarantee you second service is going to be packed to the rafters with people who didn't realize there was a feature or just thought they would use it as an excuse. Anybody else kind of thinking about that this morning a little bit? Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Hey, for those of you that are brand new with us today, my name is Carrie. Uh, My wife and I are some of the pastors here at the Movement Church, and we're so glad that you chose to hang out with us on this amazing uh, daylight savings time. This is my favorite time change. Even though we lose an hour of sleep, I have this theory you can sleep when you're dead. It's overrated. So I just kind of move on through. Anybody else like that? This kind of sleeps overrated? Thank you. You're my people. How many of you love sleeping in in the morning? Okay. All right. And you're at first service. I'm proud of you. This is like a victory for you today. So anyways, I'm so glad you're with us. We're right in the middle of a series called Living with Lions. And I'm excited excited to tell you about it. If you missed last week, make sure some point today or this week you go and get the podcast because you kind of missed like the tee up, the kind of the setup for the entire series. But before I dive into anything else today, I just want to encourage you with something that's rather huge heading our direction in just a few weeks. We are literally weeks away from Easter. Everybody say happy Easter. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but Easter is the highest attended church day in the nation. In other words, people who never go to church come to church on Easter Sunday. And I don't know if you realize this, but we are a church that exists for people who don't like to go to church. And guess what? Here's the greatest news is God has placed you in their world on purpose to invite them to Easter. Go ahead and give yourself a hand clap. Come on, the three of you. That's so good. Yes. And so I want to challenge you. We want to partner with you. In fact, on your way out today, we're going to give you a pretty cool packet. And on the front of it, it says, till all have heard. And on the inside, it actually Actually invites you to do three things. And I don't know if you've been around the Movement Church for a while, but we use this on a regular basis. It says, pray, invest, invite. Now, I also don't know how many of you in this room were at least alive or grew up in the 80s. Would you raise your hand for me? Okay. Some of the most, the greatest movies to ever come out came out in the 80s, i.e. The Goonies. Yes? Anyone? All right. I've got some friends in here today. Another one is The Karate Kid. Anyone? At least Karate Kid 1 and 2. The others were horrible. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but in that movie, Mr. Miyagi has Danielson practice his karate in his backyard by waxing on and waxing off, right? By painting. How many of you remember this? This is how we paint, right? Wax on, wax off, right? Sand the floor, sand the floor, right? And Daniel's son gets so angry. I'm not learning anything. And he walks on his toes. Remember Daniel Caruso? That's how he walked. And I'm not learning anything, Mr. Miyagi. And he goes, you learn already. And then he, is that a pretty good Mr. Miyagi impersonation? I feel pretty good. He goes, come here, Daniel. 
Daniel's son, he says, wax the floor. And he said, remember, he, he's, like, he's like getting all like, huh, like this. And Miyagi's like, no, wax the floor, right? And then he begins to punch at Daniel. And Daniel's waxing on, waxing off. And he's painting the fence and painting the fence. And then eventually, no, we'll, we'll move on right there. All that to say, all of this was preparation for when Daniel was actually going to be in a fight. So we use the same phrases over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because if you're like me, we tend to forget. But there will come a moment when it'll dawn on you, wait a minute, God's placed me in the world of the people that I know, my neighbors, my coworkers, my family, and if I just pray for them, maybe God will open a door and if I invest in their world, in other words, spend time with them, and give them an opportunity to hear and see the goodness of who God is. And then if I invite them, maybe, just maybe, they'll attend church with me. And maybe, just maybe, that'll be the one day where God will align everything in their life to a moment at the end of a service in the movement church at Charger Hall in El Toro High School. And they might just say yes to Jesus because you prayed for them. You invested in their life. I can't breathe. (laughs) And you invited them. So on your way out today, we're going to give you a packet. It's super awesome. It's got all the information you need. On the inside, it's got a card like this. This is the most important component of this whole packet. It's got six blank spaces, and I want to challenge you to write down the names of six people in your world that you know need to be here on Easter Sunday. And then we've given you some really cool invitations to actually invite them to church and this really cool little keychain that says, till all have heard, because that is our mission. So can we do that today? Can we do that today? Awesome. Well, let me pray for us. Actually, no, wait. Pause. Let me get us caught up. You remember, you ever watch shows, and it's like, previously, at the Movement Church. I need one of those, because I can't just dive in yet, because you need a previously at the Movement Church. Did any of you guys ever watch 24 when it was out? Yeah, that's what this is for a moment. We're talking about living with lions. And the whole concept of this series is how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. Now we're reading through a book in the Bible called Daniel, which is titled after a guy who kind of figured this thing out. He lived in a culture very similar to us that was trying to do everything it could to get him to live counter to how he was raised, counter to what his faith said. And here's the most challenging part about his story, is Daniel was actually in captivity. He was a slave in a nation called Babylon with a king named Nebuchadnezzar who took Israel, Daniel's entire people, into captivity about 600 years before Jesus was even born. And then Nebuchadnezzar did what our culture's trying to do. It tried to indoctrinate these young men and women into the belief systems and the cultural values of Babylon. And so we capture Daniel in the midst of this and we learn some things about him that in his day as in today, there are two different approaches to how to impact culture. Both of these approaches can be very unhealthy. One is a dogmatic approach to truth. I know what the Bible says, I'm right and you better get right or get left. Turn or burn, you sinner in the hand of an angry God. Anyone ever heard these before? Yes. And on the other side is an equally unholy approach to grace. God loves everybody, which he does, and everybody is good. No one needs to change. Everything's okay. There's many ways to get to God, and that is as equally unhealthy. And last week, we began the journey of understanding 
how to actually find the right balance. Let me tell you why. What we talked about last week is that culture will try to tame you and rename you and claim you. If you didn't get the podcast, I'm telling you, the preacher was on fire and he looked really good too. I can't remember who it was, but I feel like it was probably me, but we'll move on. Here's what I believe, that God's given us the tools that we need to really learn how to stand for what's true, but also love well in a culture of compromise. Can we pray today? That was the last week at the Movement Church in about 40 seconds. Let's pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody looking around, nobody moving. God, we thank you that you're here today. We thank you that I'm out of breath just from doing the Daniel Sun impersonation, so please help me to get in shape as well. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd speak to us today. You'd open our hearts and our ears to hear and receive the things that you want to say and do in our life. We really do just give you permission to sit in the driver's seat. We, we don't want to leave here the same. None of us do. All of us have things we can work on. None of us have arrived. None of us have come in this room perfect. All of us just have a few things to work on. I pray today, God, you'd help us to see that in a powerful way. So God, do something awesome right now, right here in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. and amen. I don't have a countdown timer, so I have no clue how much time, so I think that's what they're, they're cue to me, that I've got at least two hours to preach. Is that cool for first service, two hours? We don't even need brunch. We'll roll right into second service. Is that cool? Awesome. So here's kind of the point or the gist of today and, and kind of to tee up today's sermon, if you will, is that this, that the, the title is Culture's Greatest Test. If you're taking notes, then man, I want to encourage you to write that down. You can text the word notes to the number that we use all throughout our service and you can follow along and see so many of you grabbing your phone. So it's encouraging. So Culture's Greatest Test is one title. Another title that I thought about really is the Babylon mentality. Everybody say the Babylon mentality. The Babylon mentality, because here's the truth. We either set culture or we reflect culture. We either set, here's another way of saying it, we're either a thermostat or a thermometer. We're either adjusting the temperature by the way that we live our life and the people that we're influencing, or the culture and the relational dynamics that we're in are affecting and setting the temperature of our life. And I want to just challenge you that we are not to retreat from culture, but to have an impact on it. So we're neither to retreat from culture, nor to attack it and to try this blazoned approach to, you better listen to what I have to say, but I do believe in the middle we actually can have an impact on it. I want to read a passage of scripture that Jesus said in John chapter 17, if you didn't bring your Bibles, it'll be on the screen with you, so check this out. John chapter 17, verse 15, this is Jesus speaking. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. So in other words, I'm not trying to remove you from the cultural environment that you're in. My prayer is not that they take you out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. In other words, he's saying, hey, you're in the world you live in on purpose and you can have a profound impact. And, and today I just want to expose to you the root, in fact, of what I believe is the single culprit to the ungodly culture that we live in. I, I want to expose the root cause of what I feel actually begins to shift culture away from godly values. As you remember, Babylon is the name of the nation that Daniel, that's the location where Daniel and his friends have been placed in exile. 
They're no longer in their home country, and Babylon is the location, but I want to challenge you that Babylon is not just merely a locality, but Babylon is a mentality. Babylon is a mentality, and I'm going to tell you right here, here's kind of the spoiler alert. The Babylon mentality is pride. I believe that pride is the root culprit, the, the main issue of our culture's shift away from who God is to anything else. And I want us to see it because if we can see it, we can recognize it. And then we can expose the enemy's plan and create a, a less effective approach on our life. If we can recognize the root, then we expose the enemy's lie. And then it no longer has the power over us. Let me just tell you why. Because the devil is a liar. Now, I, you know, it's so funny. When we talk about Satan or the devil, internally, I get a little cheesed out. Because the culture we lived in has tried to emasculate the enemy and made him this little red suit and pitchfork guy that sits on your right shoulder while the angel's on your left shoulder trying to convince you not to smoke that or not to drink that or not to say that. And we've got memes all over the internet, all over Instagram. We've got mock workout videos where they punch the devil and kick the Satan. And all of this is done. If you don't know what that is, you're welcome. Stay away from it. It will it'll scar your mind. But all of these things try to remove the effectiveness of the enemy, and yet he's a real enemy whom the Bible says is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour not nibble on not snack on but the Bible also says he wants to steal kill and destroy your life and he's been using the Babylon mentality of pride for centuries for centuries let me tell you what Satan's lie is his lie is I'm all about you and God no no he's all about himself that's what Satan's lie is. No, 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 I, I, I'm all about you and your best interest, but God, he's all about himself. And this has been surfacing through the Bible all the way through it. In fact, if you're on your Bible on your phone, you can scroll to Genesis and see this in a different story. In the very beginning of scriptures, even when Satan stepped on the scene, he was using this lie to shift culture. And there's a story we find in Genesis chapter 11 that's affectionately referred to as the Tower of of Babel. And this is when a, a large group of the earth's remaining population got together and decided to build a civilization. And in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, we see this Babylon mentality emerge in the very beginning of our scriptures. It says, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Look at this. So that we may make a name for ourselves. We don't need God. We got this thing. Let's make ourselves great. We don't need who he is. We don't need his faithfulness. Let's make ourselves great. And this is Satan's greatest lie. In fact, he's wagering all of his bets on self-interest. If he promotes you and me as an individual, then he wins. This passage goes on to say in Genesis chapter 11, that is why it was called the Tower of Babel. The Lord confused their language. In other words, when they thought they could build this building, the Bible says that God came in and, and changed the language of all humanity so they could no longer work together because pride had emerged so much. And they called that location Babel, which is where the name Babylon comes from. 
And the root of the word Babylon means confusion. It's a deranged way of thinking that produces confusion. And I'm just going to tell you, you, you don't even need me to tell you this. Look at me right in the eyes for a moment. You don't even need me to illustrate this. Maybe you're here and you're not sure what it is that you believe. Permission to belong before you believe. But if you've been in this room and you've maybe been following God even slightly for a few weeks or a few moments, then you know that when you start to live a life any other way than God's plan, it will produce confusion in your world. It will produce confusion. God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of fear. He's a God of courage and of hope and of love and of power and of sound mind. But yet we live in a chaotic world. You don't need me to preach that to you. From the shootings in Las Vegas to the shootings in Parkland, where people go on a deranged rampage. And it just doesn't even make sense, does it? We still don't have answers. And I'm just communicating just some of the symptoms that are literally at the hearts of so many people. I'm not saying that so many people are deranged and going to go on a shooting rampage, but so many of us live in a chaotic world. And that's why we need God. And some people would say, well, where was God in the midst of the Vegas shootings? Where was God when Parkland took place? And you know what I would say is he was right where we left him. We have uninvited God to the party. 1962 or three, I believe, we removed prayer from schools. And you just go and look at the statistics of what happened to the crime rate, to teenage pregnancies, to every other list of things. Why? Because we uninvited God to the party. But here's the thing about God is he desperately wants to show up again. And I actually do believe that God showed up in the midst of that chaos and the first responders and the people who came and said, hey, let me help you. And we have dear friends who were greatly impacted, one whose life was saved because a total stranger and his girlfriend put him in a wheelbarrow and shoveled him to a stranger's car and took him to a a hospital where he's literally now alive because of. So I believe God did show up, but I also believe it's time for us to invite God back to the party. Man, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it communicates God's prayer for us and for our nation. He says, if my people who are called by my name would simply humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then all I'll hear from heaven. Man, I've been waiting. Just invite me back to the party. That's the carry paraphrase. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If you're here today and chaos is in your soul, then you may have bought into the Babylon mentality. We see it in the beginning of our Bible and we see it at the end of our Bible. If you scroll to Revelation 17, you don't have to turn there right now. I'm not going to go into great depth on this today, but if you go to the very end of our Bible, we see this word Babylon emerge again. Revelation 17, 5, which is a prophetic word towards the end times of civilization and humanity. Look at what it says. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. In other words, the mother, the root of all of this cultural shift is the Babylon mentality. 
It's all throughout scripture. And you know what? You should just take a moment and go back and read Revelation 17 and 18 because this whole passage of scripture is how the Babylon mentality has crept its way into the church. Now, I know this isn't your normal entertaining Pastor Carrie message today. I know sometimes we get up here and we want to motivate you and encourage you. Man, you can do it. We believe in you. And you know, you're going to hear that 90% of the time, but every once in a while, we've got to take a pause for a commercial break to remind ourselves of the truth of God's word. This is trying to creep into who we are. Scroll to the middle of your Bible to a book called Isaiah chapter 47. In, In almost all Bibles, there's a heading above every chapter that kind of is like the, the preview into the chapter you're about to read. And the heading of this chapter is the fall of Babylon. The fall of Babylon. Chapter 47, verse 8 says this. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, look at that, I am and there is none beside me. In other words, I've got this. I don't need God. I don't need him. I'm good to go. The scripture rolls on and says, I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. Verse 10 says, you felt secure in your wickedness and you said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray and you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. That's Babylon's motto. I am, and there is no one beside me. That's the biggest trick of the enemy. The biggest ploy of the devil is to get me thinking that I know better than God. Now, most of us in this room would never wake up on a Monday morning and say, I am, and there are none beside me. (laughs) Most of us wouldn't do that. We would slap you in the face. But most of us live a life as if we do know better than God, as if I am smarter than God, as if I can actually love better than God. Or, you know what, here's another thing is I would probably judge the earth better than God or maybe even write some laws different than what God wrote. That's what Babylon does. It elevates self. It elevates self. I got this thing. I don't need you anymore. Babylon is self-adoring. If we don't live in a self-adoring world full of selfies of epic proportion, I don't understand duck lips. Unless you look like that naturally, don't do this. It makes me want to punch you in the face. No, let's move it on. My little eight-year-old did that the other day. She was like, I was like, I will slap you right now. And then she was like, I was like, that's what I'm talking about right there. Right there. Hey, it starts at an early age, by the way. Well, a lot of times, you know, we, we, we drift away from affirmation in our home. Does anybody else struggle with that? Okay, good. Well, I feel alone up here. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, apparently we're jacked up, Megan. I apologize. <laughs> we, just, we just drift from affirmation. In other, what I mean by that is we, we get really good at, at not affirming each other consistently. Now, do you identify? Okay, thank you. Thanks, Megan. All right, she tells me that all. You don't affirm it. No, I'm kidding. And so sometimes we'll create specific moments to affirm each other. Like a birthday, we celebrated my, my eight-year-old, who's now nine-year-old's birthday yesterday, and we just did nine things that we love about Avery. And you watch her face go. <laughs> she likes to play that game all the time now. It's kind of funny. Hey, today, we should talk about nine things you love about me today. 
fact, we were doing that one time. It's like, okay, uh, who here takes the longest to get ready? And we would all point at Brooklyn. And who here is the fastest runner? We would point at someone, not Megan, and somebody else. And we do these kind of things. And who here has got the, always wakes up with the best attitude? And, and Avery would be like, this girl. And then mom's like, this girl. We're just doing these things around. And I was like, who's the most humble? And Avery goes, this girl. It's like, I think, I think you're missing the, the point. But doesn't, we don't have to teach this. Pride, it's naturally there. I got this thing. It's self-adorning. It's self-building. Like, God, God, I'll see you on Sunday, but I'll call you when I need you. I'll see you on Sunday, but I'll call you when I need you. It's funny, when prosperity hits our nation, churches are empty. When tragedy hits, churches are full. I'll never forget where I was on September 11th, 2001. Never forget. Right, I lived five minutes from one of the largest airports in the nation, DFW in Dallas. And they just started landing planes literally like every, it felt like every 30 seconds. My house was shaking. I remember watching the second plane hit the tower live. Does anybody else remember that? Oh, man, Tuesday. The next day was Wednesday. Back in the day, and in the south, they do church in the middle of the week, too. So you guys are blessed. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Some are like, I missed that. Get thee behind me, Satan. You know how many, our, our, we had to turn away cars in the parking lot. I'm not saying it's a problem that when tragedy hits, that we show up and say, God, do something. But I'm just saying it's also a problem that when we're in our greatest time, in our greatest hour, we're like, hey, God, I'll hit you up when I need you. And that's what the Babylon mentality does. It's also self-indulging. Self-indulging. I do what I want. This narcissistic mentality, or here's an even better way of saying it. I do what feels good to me in the moment, as long as it's not hurting someone else. And, and why would a loving God ever ask me to do anything or to leave something that feels good? And that's the Babylon mentality. It lowers God and the values of who God is. You see, Satan says things like, God doesn't love me. Megan even hit on that walking up here earlier, just saying some people don't want to come through the doors of a church because they're so afraid of, of people finding out their past or I don't know if I'm ready. I've got to get cleaned up first. And that's the enemy's lie. God doesn't love you as you are, but I do. But the greatest expression of love is a God who lovingly forgives and calls us to live a better life. It's the greatest expression of love. The enemy says God isn't for you. He isn't for you. He's mean. He doesn't even really like you. And all of his ideas are outdated. They're old. It's old fashioned. My eighth grade daughter who's sitting in this room, so I won't point her out on the front row, right in front of me, just directly right here, <laughs> is literally getting made fun of at her school because her and her friend during the sex ed class said, we are not having sex until we get married. I'm proud of her for that. Come on, let's give her a hand clap. And even when I say that, some people in this room think, that is so old school. So old school. And that's the way the enemy works. Everything in the Bible is for our good. Everything in the Bible is for our good. The enemy says, God wants too much from me. 
But you know what God wants for you is grace and truth. Grace invites us to be free, and the truth, what? Sets us free. The greatest illustration of this is found in Daniel chapter 4. The same story, the same characters that we're kind of following along in this series called Living with Lions. By the way, Daniel faced a great tragedy when his faith was put to the test. And because of standing up for his belief, he was thrown into a lion's den, which is why we call the series Living with Lions. Just wanted to remind you all of that. And in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, we find the king, the one who uh, put in captivity and enslaved all of the Israelites, looking out at his kingdom. And look at this passage of scripture. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. I mean, just sitting back and thinking, man, this is everything I could have possibly wanted. Admiring himself. I don't have time to go into the entire story, but he has a dream here. I've got a dream. I don't know. Every time I say that, I think of Tangled. Anybody else in here? I apologize. That was a commercial break in my own head. He has a dream, and in this dream, he sees this lush and fruitful tree that is huge with a massive trunk, and its branches go out and stretch over the entire nation of Babylon. And then in this dream, the tree was cut down except for the root and the stumps. So he wakes up and he calls his magicians and his soothsayers and the so-called prophets. And he says, tell me the interpretation of my dream. And all the men gathered and they could not explain or interpret what his dream was. But Daniel could. Daniel knew the interpretation of the dream. And here is Daniel's chance to leverage his knowledge and what he knows to work his way to the top. Here is Daniel's chance to embrace the culture that he's in and forsake the integrity of the truth of God's word. But Daniel was full of courage and his integrity wins this battle. In Daniel chapter 4 verse 22, he looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he says, that tree, your majesty, is you. You are that tree. Daniel begins to interpret the dream. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, we see this unfold. He says, you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will live drenched with the dew of heaven. What he's talking about is the coming insanity of Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking about this coming insanity that is facing Nebuchadnezzar if he doesn't make some changes. Remember, Babylon means confusion. Daniel goes on, seven periods of time, in other words, seven years of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So he says, hey, if you don't make an adjustment, you're going to go crazy and you're going to live like a wild animal. But now look at grace and truth presented yet again in the book of Daniel. And someone in here really needs to hear this today. Because some of us would say, yeah, that sounds about like God. If I don't do everything perfect, he kicks me out and I'm supposed to be some crazy idiot. But in every story where we see the love of God, there's always grace and truth. Verse 26 says this, but the stump and the root of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. There's always 
a restoration plan at work. Look at me in the eyes. It doesn't matter if you were to right now spit in the face of God and run out of this room and say, I'm done with you. God would always be waiting with arms open saying, I'm ready for you to come back home. There's always a restoration plan at work. What? When? Once you acknowledge that heaven rules. But Nebuchadnezzar, like so many of us, didn't listen. A few passages later, we find him out on his balcony. And he's adoring something that many uh, in that day would have uh, valued and appreciated. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar says, look at what I built. He admired what he had built and he mocked God. And then the Bible says he went insane. That he ran out and he lived in the fields and his nails grew long and his hair grew long and he lived like this for seven years. Seven years in insanity. Seven years in craziness. But look at what happens in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. And some of us in this room and definitely in our nation need our sanity back. He went on and he said, and I praised and I worshiped the most high and I honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Verse 36, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. And that's the thing is most of us have to hit rock bottom before we look to God. But the great thing about my God is he never leaves us at rock bottom. He never leaves us at rock bottom. We might get there, and it might be painful when we're there, but the moment we look to him, he says, okay, come on, I got you. I've been waiting for this moment. The passage of Scripture goes on to say, my, adv- my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. We got a few minutes left, and I want to leave you three quick statements, three I wills, and I want you to write these down, because I believe if we live by these, then culture can't win. Write these down, three I wills. In fact, you're going to see I will statements that are going to be in the midst of this this packet you're going to get on your way out. Why? Because sometimes we've got to remind ourselves, not by saying it's a good idea to, or here's what somebody said, but remind ourselves by saying I will. I don't know about you, but I have a a morning mantra that I read every day. In fact, I had one of our great team members, Bianca, put it on a sticker, and it's on my mirror because I look at the mirror every day. Can I get an amen from some people? By the way, today I saw a new patch of baldness in my forehead. It was really encouraging. If you look at my forehead while we talk after church, you're kicked out of our church. So moving on. I read this mantra every day, and I read it out loud, and it reminds me of who God created me to be. And I'm going to give you three statements that I believe we need in order to defeat the culture that we live in. Not the people, but the culture. Three I wills. Number one, I will exalt God. Everybody say, I will exalt God. I believe you've got to slap the Babylon mentality in the face. 
We gotta slap the mentality of pride in the face. And the best way we can do that is by exalting who God is. Not just on Sundays, not just in my heart, not in private, but to live a life that exalts God. And listen, we exalt a lot of things. We exalt a lot of things. Every Sunday in the fall, people show up by the hundreds of thousands to football stadiums donning the jersey of their favorite team, which probably didn't win the Super Bowl last year, or if you're like me for the last 25 years, come on somebody. They'll paint their faces and when they score a touchdown, we'll throw our hands up and we'll scream at the top. When I watch the Cowboys and they score once in a blue moon and I'm like, I do not care what you think about me. And when you look at that, if I'm at Buffalo Wild Wings and I'm cheering on my team, you say, hey, that guy right there is a fan. But I come to church and I raise my hands or move to some freaking good music. I'm now instantly a fanatic. And my faith is one. For some reason, your body language, except for Wes, no one's ever like this. until 9 a.m. on Sunday at the Movement Church. That's a movement. That's good. Are you tracking with me? I go buck wild crazy at a game. Some of you went buck wild crazy for this right here. How many of you watched the gold medal championship game? Yeah. And you scream for the lamest, most amazing sport in the history of the world. <laughs> and then church. I hold my coffee. I feel really comfortable with my coffee in front of me now. You know, I'm spitting the truth right now too, don't you? I'm going to hold this piece of paper in front of me. It's been on my seat. I'm not going to read it, but it makes me feel like there's separation between me and the stage and maybe nobody will notice I'm not raising my hands. Why are they asking so many questions? Jeremy says, if you feel comfortable raising your hands, I don't feel comfortable, stop saying that. (laughs) Are you tracking with me? Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. We're not about the movement, church. We're about Jesus. Why? Because of what he did for me. I I don't know about you, but man, I know the darkness of a soul. I know the blatant life of hypocrisy covered by lie after lie after lie that destroys families and marriages. And Jesus said, oh, come on, I got you. So I, I lift my hands as a sign of surrender, and I sing loud. I really do sing loud. Ask Gurley or Nate or Megan. 
I'm like, your love so deep is watching over me. Your face is all I see. I literally sing that loud because he really is my everything. Not fake everything. Not a jacket I put on on Sunday morning because I need to quote unquote be good for an hour and a half, but because literally I am nothing without Jesus. And I'm just going to challenge you, man. You, you want to defeat the Babylon mentality? Then just choose to live a life that exalts God. Number two, we're running out of time. I will acknowledge God. Write that down. I will acknowledge God. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar said, everything you do is right. I missed it, but now I see it. Everything that you do is right. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what I know. Here's what we know. God has done it. He's the one in control. He's the one in charge. And so you know what? I'm going to acknowledge God. I stand here today not because of my heritage, not because my parents were pastors, my wife's parents were pastors, our grandparents were pastors. We stand here today because of the grace of God, because of what Jesus has done in my life. My life isn't perfect it is far from perfect. If you hang out with me for more than 10 minutes, you'll find that out really quickly. We have people talk to us all the time that waited so long to call and ask for help and they would say, I didn't call because I thought you were perfect and you didn't understand. But literally every Sunday before I walk to this pulpit, I'm reminded of my past mistakes and I say, God, you've got to meet me when I get here because I don't have what the people need, but only you do. Every Sunday I pray that prayer. Every Sunday in the morning, I wake up at 5.30 a.m. and I start prepping and praying for today. And I set my notes aside and I say, God, it doesn't matter what I've typed if people don't experience you. Why? Because I don't have more knowledge. None of us do. Only God has what you and I need. First Corinthians says it best. Chapter 4, verse 7. For what makes a distinction between you and someone else? And what do you have that grace has not given you? Look at that. For what makes a distinction between you and anyone else? And what do you have that grace hasn't given you? What do you have in your life that God hasn't given to you? The reason I stand here today is because God's given me breath in my lungs this morning in the lungs that he created with the breath that he created. What do you have that grace hasn't given you? And if you've received a gift, why do you boast as though there is something special about you? I will exalt God. I will acknowledge God. Number three, I will humble myself. I will humble myself. If you're taking notes, circle or highlight the word humble. Yeah. Highlight the word humble. Why? Because humility is coming. It's coming. You can initiate it or culture will initiate it. You can initiate it or the enemy will initiate it. James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Yep. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I'm going to tell you right now, it's either humility or humiliation. But you choose. The Babylon mentality is pride that I've got what I need. I'm good to go. I don't need anything else. But I'm just telling you, that's a road to disaster. And sanity and confusion is going to happen to everyone who takes on the Babylon mentality. 
Let me just tell you, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. This is not this mentality like I'm a failure, I suck at life, nobody should be friends, everything that I do fails. That's not what humility is. Humility is just saying I'm gonna exalt God and I'm gonna acknowledge that anything I have is because of his faithfulness and he created me as a child of God. Are you tracking with me today? The Bible says he will lift us up. A great spiritual leader in America once said something so profound that I think is extremely worth writing down. He said, the man or the woman on his face before God can never fall from that position. The man or the woman on his face before God can never fall from that position. What's he saying? We've got to position ourselves low and say, God, I don't have everything that I need. I got to stay low and serve God and serve people and point people to Jesus. And if I'll stay there, God can do amazingly miraculous things in and through me. I think probably my last and final thought for you today is this. That standing strong in a pride-inflated culture begins face down. It begins face down. One of the greatest memories I have of my father who passed away two and a half years ago is He and my mom, every day of my life that I can remember growing up, every morning they woke up at 4.30 a.m. and they brewed Maxwell House really horrible coffee. It was never good to the last drop. And they would get their old leather Bibles that were tattered and torn. And they would read through the scripture and begin to pray. And morning after morning after morning after morning, I would walk out to see my dad on his knees, bending over the couch. My mom seated next to him with her head in her hands. In the beginning, I didn't know what it was. I thought they were upset or maybe in a big fight. And then I began to realize, no, my dad is just praying. And he positioned and postured himself in a way that recognized I'm going to exalt God. And not myself. And he prayed for people on a daily basis. And every day of the week was a different prayer. And I just want to tell you right here, right now, if you want to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise, it begins face down. I said, God, I just, I need you to do a work in my life. I'm nothing without you. But with you, I'm everything. Everything you've called me to be, I can accomplish the things you set before me. No task is too great because you are great. And I'm just telling you, we've got to shift from the Babylon mentality of pride and let God win. I want to pray for us today. Will you do me a favor? We quietly and reverently without leaving, just stand to your feet. I just want to pray today that God would do something in our lives. Just look up here for just one more moment before we pray. I don't know, maybe you came in today feeling confusion and frustration and maybe a little bit of doubt, but I want to pray that today God begins to remove that as we exalt who he is and recognize and acknowledge that he's got a great plan for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, today we just, we acknowledge that we need you. We need you in our life. We need you doing something miraculous, something amazing, something powerful. And God, we don't want to be the same. 
We, we don't want to leave here the same, God. We, we, we recognize that we've tried it on our own and it just doesn't seem to work, so we repent now, God. And, and we ask you to step in, to invade our lives, that we live a life of exalting you, acknowledging you, and humbling ourselves, God, that you truly would lift us up, God, to accomplish the things that you've set before us. I come against the spirit of condemnation and shame in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen us. God, that you would give us wind beneath the wings, God, that we would mount up like eagles, God, that we would run and not grow weary, that we would walk and not faint. So, God, we acknowledge you're doing something now. We lift our voices in song and we worship you. Come on, let's sing this together with everything you got. Come on. You know, we're not going to leave today without giving people an opportunity to step into the, a brand new relationship with Jesus. There's a starting point. It's a starting line. I'm not talking about church membership, but it's about inviting Jesus into the driver's seat of your life. Let me tell you this. Sin is simply living life my way, but salvation is just living life God's way. And there's a starting point to this walk with Jesus, and some of us in this room have never crossed that threshold. And I want to give you an opportunity to do just that in just a moment, without getting out of your seat, without any embarrassment. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer before, or you've been running from God, and today's your day to come running back, I want to challenge you, pray this prayer with me today. And let's begin this journey removing chaos and confusion from our life and inviting Jesus into the driver's seat. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, no one looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never prayed this prayer today, make it your own. And if you've been running from God, today's the day to come running back. Just make this simply your prayer. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. I want to get rid of the confusion. I want to get rid of the, the challenges of my life. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. And just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.